Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Pirate Side, folks. This is Carlo, um, and as usual, I'm accompanied by Pete. Hey, guys. Hey, Pete. Hey there. And uh, we have a very special guest for you today. We have uh, we've actually brought back Jorge Luis Borges from the grave uh, to talk <laughs> about his uh, short story "Ton Ukbar and Orbius Tertius." Uh, he he actually canceled on us, Carlo. I'm oh, sorry. Fuck. I was ha- hoping to to cancel him. <laughs> okay, well. God damn it. <laughs> So, um, in, so I guess we're, we're we do have uh, uh, someone else lined up. Uh, Jeremy, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Happy to be here. And I'm it, sorry, I'm, I'm not I, Borges. Yeah, um, well, you know, I, I feel sorry about that as well. Uh, but I am happy about the one detail that he and I do not share. I am alive. <laughs> Yes, that's important. <laughs> Last I checked. Um, and I'm sorry, Jeremy, could you uh, tell us what is your, you, you actually write under the pen name, what is it, JT Greathouse? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've written under my real name, uh, Short Fiction, for a while. But I my, <laughs> my real last name is Tegrotenheis, which looks like gibberish um, and is impossible to pronounce like when you look at it. And so my mm. agent very wisely suggested that for my actual novel, we should use a pen name. Um, and also Great House is a pretty badass last name to publish fantasy under. So, well, yeah, I mean, what, what kind of house is it? It's a great house. It's a great one. <laughs> you want to be part of this house? It's great. It's great. Yeah, it oh. makes me think of like Fading Sons or even, well, I mean, Martin, of course, but oh, I, I, I love it. it <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. So I guess the question here, and, and I'll, 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 go, I'll go after you, but... Um, Jeremy, what is, what was your, or what has been your, uh, your contact with like Borges's body of work? Um, so when I was in college, I heard on, I think NPR somewhere on the radio, there's people were talking about, um, the library of Babel Mm. and I thought it sounded interesting. And so I tracked down a copy of Labyrinths, um, and I read it over that weekend and was just like, brain meltingly confused by it. Um, cause I was, you know, like 19 or something at the time, <laughs> but I've, I've just always had this copy of labyrinths and I've always been like, it's, it's, it's always been a, Borges has always been a fascination for me because like there are certain things, certain ideas from those stories, especially Tlan and the library of Babel and like Pierre Menard, author of the Quixote, which, have like resonated through my sort of intellectual development of, as I've learned more and, and just developed my own ideas about the world. And every few years I go back and reread some of the stories. And every time I do, it's like, I'm understanding them in a different way. I don't know if I would say better. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, there are always, it feel, I feel like 
Borges stories are like weird shib- they're like weird prisms that you can like look through and look at the world around you and understand it in weird ways. Um, especially the last few years, I feel like this story in particular has been on my mind a lot. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll follow up and say, um, even to this date, uh, and, and I, I, this is probably like the third time I've read, uh, this particular story, which is Tlon Upar and Orbius Tortius. Um, uh, I, I, it, Borges is the type of author that I always came away either a little cold because of the style, mm-hmm. um, but also to a certain extent, uh, he is a, seems to be his writing in and of itself seems to be a, a more aloof version of Echo, uh, mm. Umberto Echo, in the mm-hmm. sense that um it's not just that I come away cold. I also feel like I, I, I'm not just, I'm just not smart enough to read this. What, what is going on here? I, I don't understand this. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I'll say this, like echo isn't particularly more cuddly, but there's something about his style that he's aware of what he's doing and he just doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he'll, he, you know, like echo, uh, obviously took some cues from, from Borges himself because he tuckerized Borges in name of the Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously he and Borges, or at least he probably, uh, thought the world of him. I mean, why, why else would you t- tuckerize, uh, another author into your work? As the villain. <laughs> so. Well, my exposure to the work is more in the nature of a confession because uh, when I, uh, my primary encounter with Borges was in Spanish class having short stories inflicted on me and they were <laughs> chosen because they were short, right? <laughs> And so I, I walked into this sort of regarding it as something I was doing because I liked Carlo, right? <laughs> but this story is electric. Holy crap. Yeah. It is so much better than I thought. It, like what I remember is that Adam and Eve story he did that was like a one thick paragraph. Like that's the only thing I've read before this. <laughs> and now I see what the fuss is about. Like mm-hmm. this story is – is well, it's world class. I mean, you know that's silly when you're talking about a world class author, but like I, I wasn't expecting that because of my previous experience. Yeah, dude, if you haven't read Pierre Menard, author of the Quixote, you should read that again or look at it. It's the greatest shit post in literary history. Was uh, was Pierre Menard? Is is that the guy who was actually doing the fan fiction of Quixote while so- uh, Cervantes was in jail? Yeah, so, well, the, st- the story in Labyrinths is basically like somebody doing literary criticism about a version of the Quixote that Pierre Menard was trying to write. But Pierre Menard is like trying to write the Quixote without reading the Quixote. So, <laughs> so he's, <laughs> but it's, it's basically just a shitpost about literary criticism and like sort of where it was at at the time Borges was writing the story, where it was like, like very obsessed with authorial intent and stuff like that. 
Um, oh, so so this was written yesterday, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but but it's a really funny story. And like the first time I read it, I was nineteen. Like as I said, and I didn't get it at all. And then like three years later, I read it because my older brother was in grad school and he had read it and told me like, "Have you read this?" I was like, "Yeah, but I don't get it." And then I read it again, and then I just couldn't stop laughing for like ten minutes. Excellent, because it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, 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 I really struggled to find because I, I, I was going around and I was thinking like, which, which Borges story is perhaps not iconic in this case, because I was trying to go for like, you know, like the most Borges story. And I do believe that Tlon yeah, Orbis and Orbis Tertius is the most Borges story yeah. we could find. Oh yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, d- does anyone want to go ahead and take a crack at um, sort of summarizing or, or going over what uh, what the plot is about? I mean, I, well, I can try. <laughs> Thank you. I think, I think that's all we uh, that's all we can do too. I mean, I'm not sure. I've read this several times already, and I, I'm not entirely sure I got all the turns of it. But yeah. uh, I do know what happens. Right. Well, so correct me if I'm wrong, but basically what happens is uh, Borges and some of his friends are talking in a bar and somebody mentions this quote and attributes it to uh, the Sultan of Ukbar. And and it's uh, like the idea that mirrors and procreation are abhorrent because they increase the number of men or something. Um, And then. Am I I right, ladies? (laughs) Uh, and then uh, they try to track down the quote, and they can't because, like, it's not in their encyclopedia. This this place Ukbar that the su- Sultan who said it supposedly is from. Um, or I don't yeah, it's, remember. It's, it's like the yeah. it's like the uh, I forget if it's like the New American Encyclopedia, Volume Forty Six. Yeah. Um, and they actually procure the the volume that they have, and nowhere to be found. Uh, they yeah. they. They look like they they actually search for different copies, and I believe the author of the piece finally finds one yeah, that his, does his, in fact have it. I think it's his friend goes home and looks at his own copy, and that and then it's in that copy, but it's not in any of the other ones they looked at. Yeah, yeah, and so but then that like starts them on this uh, obsession of figuring out like what's going on with this weird entry in this encyclopedia. Um, and so it starts as kind of like this academic mystery thing um, that ultimately ends with them just sort of figuring like, well, this, this might be some kind of weird error, um, but they don't really have an explanation for it until part two, where there's this guy, Herbert Ash, who was friends with Borges' dad. I don't really know if he, this is true or real, but it's in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, he, upon dying, they find in his, well, after he dies, they find among his belongings a copy of the, uh, it's like a volume from the Encyclopedia of Tlan, which is like the, it's the 11th volume or the final volume of this encyclopedia of a fictional world called, called Tlan, which is, referenced in the encyclopedia entry on Ukbar as like a fantastical world. That's the focus of Ukbar and literature. Uh, and then the rest of the story is for a while is basically just like a summary of a bunch of weird details about Tlon, which is a world where Berkeley and idealism is true. 
Like if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. And actually tree is a meaningless word because nouns don't exist because the only way to talk about anything meaningfully is in terms of sense impressions and stuff like that. Yeah, the, the 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 fundamental science of Tlon is psychology. Yeah, um, there's no and and because of that, what is it that you can only attribute stuff uh, in certain areas of Tlon? You can only attribute uh, like a noun doesn't exist. You can only describe stuff through adjectives. Yeah, it's like like their nouns are just these strings of adjectives. Like I forget the exact ones, but it's things like instead of saying the sun, you would see like the the bright seeming like above the mountain, you know, just like a string of descriptors. Um, yeah, it's really weird. Um, but then, so for a while, it's just like Tlon, Tlon and Ukbar when the yeah. walls fell. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a Darmok and Jalad thing, um, or like Embassy Town, kind of. Yeah, but oh. I, I, that's a connection I drew in my head when I read this. So that, yeah. that's cool that you called that out. Yeah. Um, but as the story goes on, um, it shifts from just being this like summary of Talon stuff after they get to the end of that. Uh, it becomes this like, I think very horrifying story about <laughs> Talon sort of invading the real world. And it starts out as like, they find at the university of Memphis, all 40, volumes of the encyclopedia and it turns out that it's it had been like a secret society that was creating this in, uh, massive encyclopedia of a fictional world for like a couple of generations and stuff that's described in the encyclopedia like these little super dense cones that are like a religious symbol starts showing up in the real world and there's like this guy who uh Borges encounters in a bar somewhere or like in a tavern somewhere um, who speaks gibberish and mysteriously dies and like has coins with like Talonish markings on them. Uh, and then o- eventually by the end of the story in the postscript, basically what's happened is Talon or s- the study of Talon has entirely supplanted like actual academic study of reality. And the world is gradually becoming Talon. Yeah. And, th- and like, that's where our, my brain starts to turn on fire and like, try to figure out like what is he saying about you yeah. know the real world academics whatever i mean it's it, it, that is the part where I, I realized yes we have to talk about this story because yeah this is this is in essence this is you know all hail the new flesh right um except the flesh is coming in we've we've made the new flesh <laughs> with our minds and it's taken over our society yeah just like uh, ideology not what? To preemptively zhuzhek it. But. <laughs> and that encyclopedia is ideology. Yes. Um, so uh, we, we had to go through the requisite uh, zhuzhek imp- impression in, <laughs> in this episode as well. So, um, so I guess my question here is, and I, I feel like I, I took away the same sort of feeling like that feeling of dread that sort of starts suffusing just as Tlon suffuses the real world and starts sort of seeping in to our reality because we, you know, to a certain extent, the idea that, um, that like the, the, I guess the, the practice of psychology in Tlon 
is good enough that it's convinced uh, enough people in rea- in our reality to sort of accept it as consensus. Um, it's just sort of like one of these mind blowing things that it's, it's not, it, it's sort of like a much more effective way of doing the old stoner. They're like, what if, what if the, the world's like a simulation <laughs> man? Um, this is re this feels like really sort of like, Oh no, <laughs> what's yeah. going on? Well, things are falling I mean- apart. You can experience the horror of this. And I mean, I, I'm saying the obvious right now, but like he's he's talking about those changes that happen when suddenly everybody who up until then was behaving fairly reasonably embraces something obviously stupid in a wave. And like like that happens again and again. Um, related, guys, I sent you a link to a comic that I thought of when I saw this, which is the chicken comic. Are you familiar with it? <laughs> not that I'm aware uh, of. No, I have not seen this before. Okay. So uh, the parking lot is full. Like in the early aughts, this was like the edgiest of comics. But the idea behind it is somebody introduces a language where the only word is chicken. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, you know, I should go down in in history as the person who killed communication, but I know that I won't because history will be written in chicken. And yeah. And so it's, it, it, it felt like that to me. It's like he, he finds himself getting in on the joke only to discover that it's not funny anymore and it's eating the world. Yeah, one of the things that I wrote down, because I took like eight pages of notes when I was rereading this. Oh, wow. Because um, I'm a giant nerd. But one of the things I wrote down was... Welcome, uh, at, then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be here. But at first, the idea of reconstructing like the Talon Encyclopedia is a joke, right? They're like kind of you know, saying, wouldn't it be hilarious if we took this 11th volume and based on, you know, the implications of it, sort of like the references to other things that aren't fleshed out in this volume, we could recreate the other 10 volumes. Um, but then like, eventually it becomes the only project of academia. Like it's all anybody is doing is reconstructing and commenting on this encyclopedia of a fake world. And like, it makes me wonder if in, in the universe of the story, if Borges is like kind of too embarrassed or too horrified to say anything, or like if he even tried to say anything like, guys, this isn't like, this is ridiculous. Cause he obviously senses that it's ridiculous if he would just be like shunned. And so it's, it's like once something like this takes hold, you can't really challenge it because it's what everybody's doing now. And you sound like a weirdo and an idiot if you point out that it's absurd. <laughs> you know, you just you just made me think of a, a, an unrelated but similar phenomenon, right? Uh, like this is he 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 was basically describing how a a bubble happens, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it just dawned on me that this is exactly this is how finance has basically taken yeah. over stem dude you know, like everyone yeah. that, that is a uh that could be solving like the fucking models of how climate change could be solved or, or you know working on different things nah they're they're often in wall street trying to figure out how algorithms should be able to trade faster or whatever and it's yeah like, 
why this because that's where the money is and everyone else is doing it so you might as well grab the tiger by by the tail and and you don't let go because like you said if you point out that you know hey that's a tiger is like shut up dude everyone's making money here okay shut up right magic of the free market my friend what that was a marketplace (laughs) of ideas and soon ideas will have nfts it makes me think about like the social sciences and things like that too. Um, and I think Borges kind of tips his hand a little bit when he invokes like Nazism and antisemitism and dialectical materialism toward the end of the story. Like I read this as a commentary on how discourses or how ideologies can take over the way that we think and talk about something um, in a way that makes it very difficult to criticize that like, system of thought, right? Um, you know, it's kind of like, imagine trying to be a, a metaphysical dualist in the 21st century. Like you, you, it seems absurd to us, but there might be things that are seemingly absurd to us because our sort of philosophical or ideological consensus has sort of calcified around certain ideas. And uh, one of the, one of the ones that I always think of is like, in economics, we have these people who tell us like the economy works this way, you know, markets work this way. If you just sort of follow the models, we can, you know, set the interest rate at this percent and like anticipate this rate of inflation and blah, blah, blah. But then like every eight years, everything explodes and the models, you know, don't seem to work, or at least if they are working, they're not, you know, telling us all that they could be telling us about the models. Um, and yet it's like, if you question that in, in, you know, a mainstream setting where you're not talking with other sort of lefty internet weirdos, you seem like a crazy person or people will, will just discount you because you're sort of challenging the fundamental bedrock of culture these days, if that makes sense. No, I think, I think that makes perfect sense because I mean, the, the, I think that the risks are perhaps worse than actually being um, at this point in time, for instance, uh, the, the risk I feel is not so much that you would be sort of uh, pilloried because that's that actually like the system knows that, that if it gives you too much attention, that actually like people that are within the system know that if they give you too much attention and try to make you sound, you know, like give you too much attention in the discourse, if you will, um, that, you know, that will get your message out there. So the worst, the worst part of it is you just get ignored. Yeah. And and you're just sort of like in this, this shadow land that where you can't really even get, you're a word in edgewise because no one's paying attention to that. Like, unless you're willing to talk in the context of Tlon, you're not allowed to say anything. <laughs> right, right. It's like, what about Earth, folks? Yeah. No, no, Tlon, Tlon, Tlon. <sighs> right. You're using nouns. That's not allowed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we all we all agreed that it has so much more cachet to just use a string of adjectives, and you're not conforming to that. So you're out of the club, buddy. Um, so, Pete, what do you think about all this? Like, w- what were your impressions when you read it this time? Uh, well, I mean, the 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 first was uh, 
shocked that it was so good. But if we uh, <laughs> if we if we dig deeper, one of the things I found was uh, well, you know, when people talk about weird fiction, and mm. often when people say weird fiction, what they're describing is a, almost like a uh, a death of God situation where the rules blend together and things don't make any sense. But there's a different type of weird fiction, and that is fiction describing extremely unusual scenarios that could theoretically happen in the world that aren't. And somebody who's very good at this is China Mieville, like the city in the city, um, parts of embassy town, that sort of thing. And so what I what I began to think of is that style of writing that I like so much um, if it didn't originate with Borges, it certainly found a champion in him. Mm. So yeah. I, nothing brilliant here, but that's sort of where I'm at. Is is like I'm I'm tr- I'm trying to draw lines between this guy who I have paid no attention to at all, to my shame, to, to the other things in in the world I enjoy because he's clearly. Uh, like it's one thing to know somebody's influential, and it's another thing to see the influences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I had um, I wanted to point out that, uh, that circling back to Echo, who is not precisely a genre like a sci-fi fantasy writer, um, but as we're talking about this, I'm like I haven't reread um, Foucault's Pendulum in probably 20 years like i i should probably give it a reread because it sounds like pretty much the the idea that borges is exploring here sort of taken to a, an absurd and logical conclusion which is yeah uh, uh, and if no one's ever read this uh i'll, I'll give you the brief summary which is uh, a a sort of a grouping of editors uh, get this, like one of them has this sort of um, semi-conspiratorial uh, client who is always working on this gigantic manuscript and they they think that the client is, has died because the manuscript finally was sent to them and they're going through it and it's like thousands of pages long and he does, just doesn't have time for it because it's just like, it sounds crazy. Um, so they decide, uh, <laughs> to just, uh, just, we'll just feed the, the data that this has into a supercomputer. And it, because it's all about like the Templars and like a, the gigantic conspiracy behind the Templars and whatnot. And, um, between the editors who know their history and whatnot and the, the, the little nuggets that the manuscript has, this, they feed it into the supercomputer and the supercomputer produces like this sort of finished product that eventually does in fact (laughs) apparently uh gain the attention of a couple of weird cultists who are now after them um (laughs) so you know and and it's like that the same feeling where they they are taking this like basically they're just doing it to take the piss out of it right yeah but as they continue more and more, it becomes more real because it's now affecting them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a great, it, uh, honestly, it's a it's a it's a great read. It is a difficult read. Um, yeah, 
I've um, bounced off it like three times. Yeah, it, it is not it is not easy. <laughs> um, I, I mean, honestly, if if this is this this story sounds like your cup of tea, uh, I, I'd probably point you to the name of the rose, which is a bit more accessible. Um, mm-hmm. And has some of the same things, and in fact has a tuckerization of Borges in it, um, plus a a, a supposed uh, replica of his Library of Babel uh, <laughs> short story in a monastery. So it's it's just <laughs> great fun. Uh, but yeah, I I just think that um, you know we, we've been Pete and I have been sort of. I guess in the last couple of months, we've really been sort of talking over and over about the same theme, which is what do people believe? How do they gain belief? And I felt like this is just a story that is dripping with that. Like the idea of how you get people to believe in something. And it's really sort of a chilling story for that you know, the, the, the way that it ends, because I feel like, and we had, we had done like the, 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 uh, those who walk away from Omelas, um, previously. And I feel like the ending of this story feels just as ominous as the ending of Omelas. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So, yeah, you know, so. as an observation, Carlo, what the hell happened to us? Like we started on this journey of like, hey, spaceships are cool. And now we're like, <laughs> What is thought, really? You know, <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe it was me. I, I, I keep on bringing everyone down, and I guess this is the the natural the natural progression. I guess. Well, I mean, if I'm going to be edified, I might as well just embrace it. I suppose. I mean, to be fair, you you did name your podcast sort of after like a very deep Russian novel that's like a criticism of the Soviet state. So I think you kind of started from. From the depths. Well, that's true. <laughs> it, I mean, it, I, it's a good argument, actually. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because for all this time, like I I knew more or less what roadside picnic was about, and like the uh, the whole idea of the zone, um, and all that stuff, and and how, <clears throat> excuse me, how there was sort of like a commerce that you went into the zone, you came back out, and you drew stuff out of the zone, and it slowly changed things around you right um or that the objects themselves were changed and therefore they had like this weird weight that that uh, affected the world and for all intents and purposes i was absolutely convinced in my mind that this was a uh, a post fall of the ussr novel because ah. it made perfect sense to me that this was like someone going like oh you know what this is this is what capitalism does. It, it it ingests something, and then extrudes like this replica of the something that you had that is somehow devalued, but also commodified. And uh, it, it's funny because it was written in 1978, not not right, at all. Right. But okay. it's super prescient because that's exactly like that. Just sort of let me know that I, I, you know, the Strugatsi brothers, the Strugatsi brothers were onto something like that was something very important. Like what is, you know, what is authenticity? What can you do? You know, when you're, when you're questioning that. Yeah. Well, and to circle that back to, uh, Tuan, 
One of the things that strikes me about this story is how, like, I, I almost get the feeling that the reason the Encyclopedia of Talon kind of takes over and dominates academia is because it's constructed, right? Like, at multiple points in the story, um, there's mention of how, like, the the... And, you know, the encyclopedia is too lucid to be wrong or, you know, everything within the encyclopedia is kind of like pointing to something else that could be written about. And you could just expand it forever until it's sort of all en encompassing. Um, and it's so much neater and, and cleaner than doing like actual science or actual academic work about reality. Um, and that like has a similar feel to me as some of the stuff that's going on in Roadside Picnic of like the zone is almost like this hyper real place where you can go in and get stuff and extract value, but it might also destroy you. And in contrast, Tlon is like less than real. It's like, it's entirely within an encyclopedia until this, the constructed sort of thing that's easier to accept and work on and believe in than the real world starts to invade and change the real world. Um, and, it, and it makes me wonder about like the, the ways in which ideological systems start out as kind of like a, a, a lucid explanation of some kind of phenomenon, you know, like dialectical materialism or, you know, a conspiracy theory like QAnon. It, it, it tries to give you answers for things that have difficult, that are very difficult and don't have clear answers. And then you like, as you encounter the fact that the answers you've been given are not accurate. Well, since it's constructed, you can just add things to it. You can change the the date that Trump is supposed to be actually inaugurated or like the date when, you know, all the leftists are supposed to be hung and, you know, the swamp is drained finally and stuff like that because it's not real. So right. you can just change it. And that makes it way easier to believe in and engage with. Well, I mean, I, I, it's 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 weird because I, I, I was trying to circle around QAnon, but since we've broached, we broke the seal <laughs> folks, um, Sorry. because well, no, I no. knew we were going to go to there or 1984. Like those were one of those <laughs> oh. had to be a pit stop. I mean, 1984 is a little banal at this point, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, QAnon, I think QAnon is an interesting one because, um, you know, to, to a certain extent, the, the idea that QAnon has, all is is always ready with another answer right um and 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 to a certain extent like i feel like um conspiratorial thinking in and of itself is what you're saying it's 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 yeah, trying to yeah, make yeah. make make your own meaning out of a horribly complex series of systems and you want to know exactly why for instance you know like Maybe you feel like you're no longer, you know, like things aren't going your way anymore. Like slowly you're slipping away into whatever, right? Uh, I, I hesitate to say poverty because that's not entirely true with a lot of the Q people. Yeah, but you're feeling alienated for but some yeah, reason. Yeah, and, and the thing about it is that it's, it's very complex and a lot of it has to do with, you know, you, you – there are some people that may have, that may be, uh, at fault, but you're blaming the wrong people. And then on top of that, like, I, I came away with this idea that, you know, like <sighs> escapism, 
I mean, nostalgia is the first level of escapism, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of Q and and a lot of conspiratorial thinking is, in fact, this escape into another mode of thought that now is given more weight and more meaning, which then lets you do stuff like, oh, uh, oh, the, don't worry, you know, like Hillary Clinton actually was uh, arrested and assassinated, uh, but they've replaced her with a clone. <laughs> yeah, with an ankle monitor. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, but... You can't lose track of your clones. That'd be a disaster. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what do you think is happening at the border, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> They're just making clones out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, like that nostalgia is nostalgia in and of itself is sort of like a reactionary sentiment. You want things to go back to the way you remember when you were, for instance, a child, right? You want to go back to that sense of safety because you didn't know anything about the world. And generally speaking, if you were uh, at least somewhat healthy in your childhood, you felt safe, Um, Mm -hmm. but you'll never go back. And that never happened. You know, it was just as chaotic and just a shit show back then. You just didn't know about it. Now you know about it because now you're an adult. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> I think America needs to lose. I hate to say that, but uh, w- the, we, th- as as a culture, we've been so divorced from consequence from for so long that even people who do believe that this is bullshit can believe it because, like. There's there's no consequence for being wrong, yeah. Yep. And it, it scares me to death. I mean, it it's uh, like I, I'm not one of those people who's like, ah, oh, Roman Empire, it's all falling apart. But like things are pretty fucked up, and I don't see them getting better. I mean, I can say that. Yeah. Yeah, and I I, I think you're right that I I one of my kind of hopes coming out of the whole p- pandemic thing is that there will be enough people who are negatively impacted by it. I hate to say that, but to like kind of wake up a little bit, right? Like if it's, you would think that a tragedy on the scale of 500 million people, not million, 500,000, that'd be fucking crazy. No, 500,000 people (laughs) dying uh, would be enough to kind of trip the alarm a little bit in terms of like, you can't just like say that the pandemic's not happening and make it go away. Uh, we don't live on Klon. You can't make something going away by ignoring it, right? Um, but I, d- I don't know. It doesn't seem to be the case that that is happening. So, yeah. And for God's well, sakes, if you're on Klon, please do not hold up a mirror to the COVID, uh, to the COVID <laughs> virus because you'll multiply it. No, thank you, folks. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I think you're on to something, Pete. I mean, I, I don't know. And that's the thing. I think that this... I, I don't want to sound nihilistic, but I don't know that we've been on this sort of inertia trajectory for such a long time where we do not even we don't even conceive of consequences. Uh, well, I think it's been going on either since nine eleven or since since the Soviet Union fell. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mean, I mean, like, yeah, end of history type stuff. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. It's like, what? who's going to do what to us at this point? Like, we've spent the past 20 years pounding sand into smaller bits of sand all over the world because somebody knocked down a couple of buildings. Mm-hmm. And like it was a big deal. I I mean I was traumatized about it. I remember very well. But the 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 proportionate response. If you'd have come to me at the time and said, "Do you want to spend twenty trillion dollars over twenty years shooting anybody who looked at somebody who met somebody who was involved in this?" I'd be like, "No." But that's what we've done. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think like fighting asymmetrical warfare against an enemy that largely exists in propaganda reels has not been good for the American psyche. Like, yeah. So, so what you're saying is that the enemy is Tlon. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of is. It does. I mean, but it totally is. It, It like the war on terror is a war against a concept. It's a war against like something that we kind of project. It's not, you know, like Al Qaeda is real. You can fight Al Qaeda, but you can't fight terror. That's not a, you know, that's yeah. an, that's nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm being glib, but it is totally that. You know, it is yeah. the idea that it's it's what is it the 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 Schrodinger's enemy, right? They're both right. Um, too cowardly to engage us, but also too powerful to let go. Uh, yeah. We must destroy them, but. You know, they will at any moment destroy us. Yeah. Which uh, an enemy of that nature is one, because having an enemy of that nature is one of Echo's criteria for fascism. Right. Conveniently yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. Or inconveniently. <laughs> well, and war is so good for markets. I mean, one yeah. of the reasons why we've had explosive growth for Jesus 30 years is because, like, uh, you use a munition and you have to build another one. Like, there's there's incredible money in that. Well, I mean, yeah. before – I mean, to be honest with you, before that, like, that's just simply an acceleration of the of the entire process of, of how the U.S. has extracted wealth from, you know, other – other areas of the globe, you know, like the U S has been, you know, basically drinking everyone else's milkshake for years, like decades well, and, and, and giving democracy in return. Let's be fair, Carla. Oh yes. <laughs> I tell you elect a leader we don't like, and then we give you fascism. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I want to go back just briefly to uh, the, the, the fall of the Soviet union that I alluded to, because I remember like, when it was happening that Boris Yeltsin was rolling tanks on the parliament. And I remember just glibly making a joke going like, good thing. You know, he's, he wants to protect democracy by his rolling tanks on the parliament. And, and, you know, God damn it. (laughs) I hate, I hate making jokes that are not funny anymore. Yeah. yeah, well, and, and next thing you know, he was in Godfather's commercials. Like <laughs> no, that. that's, no, that's uh, that's uh, Gorbachev. Uh, that yeah. was Pizza Hut commercials. Oh, actually. you're right. You're right. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, Yeltsin isn't as photogenic, which is amazing when you consider like what a what a, a human ham Gorbachev was. <laughs> I mean, uh, Yeltsin. Like I remember when uh, I remember when they were doing the 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 inauguration or whatever. Like I believe like. He had handlers like Clinton. The Clintons were there laughing under their breaths because he was just like dead drunk. He was just, mm, yeah, off, I've seen that just video swaying, just like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy, man? Yeah, I mean, but you know, that's the guy that they wanted. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, somebody dread drunk like that, you can actually, uh, how do I put this? Uh, I institute neoliberal policies with a, with a minimum of fuss. I mean, it's like he, he clearly wasn't well, focused on the problems. What you're saying was we brought over, uh, the the eleventh volume of the the Tuan uh, encyclopedia <laughs> and showed him all the secrets is what you're saying. Yes, we did. <laughs> he got on board real quick too. Um, I mean, but that's I, I I keep we keep on going back to that, but I I I can't help but think about how, like for instance, even like I've been thinking about like even stuff like. Do you remember or do you know what the gray goo is, Pete? You mean in in terms of nanotechnology? Yeah. Yes. Jeremy, you, you yeah, you I mean, I've heard yeah, I've yeah. heard the concept. So I mean it's or it, it, there's different variants where it's like, you know, if you program an AI to make everything into paper clips, you know, eventually it'll try yeah. to make you into a paper clip and then you're in trouble. Right, right. Uh, or whatever, right? So um but I have yet to see uh, a treatment of that because it's taken it like this sort of very sort of uh, superficial surface level type of like, Oh, it's going to turn everything into gray goo is like, well, what, what the fuck do you think capital does? It abstracts mm. everything, extracts the value, it abstracts and then extracts value from it. And then what you're left with is, I mean, we're going to be drowning in gray goo <laughs> in, in about 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, like much like Talon invades the world and starts sort of changing it. You pick capital. You're picking up what I'm putting down. There you go. Yeah, capitalism just invades the world and changes it, and changes the way we think about it and the way we talk about it. And if you don't want to talk about it in those terms, it's pretty hard to get your foot in the door anywhere. You know. Yeah. 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 I mean, because obviously, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, communism was. You know, it it failed everywhere, everywhere except Cuba. Except Cuba, who's been <laughs> holding their own for sixty oh, and years, and, and all sort the, of China, all the places we've blockaded, of course. Oh, and Vietnam, right? Vietnam <laughs> yep. is yep. yeah. Well, maybe not. I mean, I, I'm sure that uh, if anyone that's listening to our podcast is a tanky, they'd probably bristle at that. But um, but I'm pretty sure that. Vietnam is probably uh, not quite as Marxist-Leninist as people want to want to think it is, but it, yeah. it's much more so than here, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's fascinating. Like, I I feel like the first couple times I read this story, I, I wasn't just I wasn't quite as like politically aware, and this time it's the whole time I was just thinking about like, holy shit, this is. This is why the world is the way it is, because there are there are twans that have like superimposed themselves over the world and and that is all anybody wants to talk about anymore. Right. And and, and let's not forget that it's like it was actually a small cabal of elites who wanted to right. produce the Tlan encyclopedia right. and uh you know and sort of steer the ship of thought you know right uh, or the philosophical ship is steered in this direction now um it's it, it's it, interesting too how like there's no real reason given for why they want to do that other than the intellectual experiment which like kind of makes the story a cipher for any ideology that you <laughs> yes. want to kind of criticize 
Well, and I mean, there's a one of the things we haven't really touched on, which I think is like all all right thinking people should take a deep breath and a hard look. Is there's a lot of people out there that think that we're in Tlon. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, like in some situations, like, there are definitely people who are my friends that I have regular interactions with who are on the left who absolutely are. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard not to get sucked into that kind of like mindset because, again, it makes the world easier to engage with. You have a system by which to process everything. Like you don't have to think about what you're actually encountering. You just have to think about it in terms of the Talon Encyclopedia. So it's very tempting to like, and it's, I think it's really hard to know when you have fallen down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Like have, have I shit my pants? And, <laughs> right. and, you know, it's, it's remarkably difficult to tell because you, you need, you need something concrete to measure your beliefs against. And that's always been a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, li- I, I mean, I, I talk about like we're trapped in discourse games or whatever, but it's you have to be to talk. You have to use language to, you know, describe anything. You have to come up with terms for it. And like that will inherently shape the way that you think about it. There's a little bit of like a, what is it? The Bader Wharf hypothesis or whatever. I'm, I'm sure that's the wrong term, but like, yeah, the, yeah, the, the one where you, the, the way, what language you speak can mold how you think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I mean, uh, Although, um, I believe that's been disproven, but but it's an interesting thought experiment at, at the very least. Yeah, and I think it do- it might not be like literally the language that you speak, but I think that you know if you take two people who have who are PhDs in two different academic disciplines and show them the same data, they will understand it differently because they're looking at it through different lenses. Yeah. Right. Um, and I and like political ideology is the same way you you kind of have to have one or be totally disengaged but once you have one it becomes very difficult to sort of self-criticize it or self-correct it because that's now how you kind of are seeing everything yeah well th- this is how everyone used to mock commies in the 70s uh uh, I I don't know if I don't know your age, Jeremy. So you may oh, not have been a baby. I'm 28. Okay, <laughs> 29. <laughs> but but like it was it was it was a joke that anything you said to to uh, an academic communist would be broken down into economic terms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you, you know, I, you just you just made me think of like that whole sequence where in the story they're talking about like the um. The challenge to uh, the idea that the there's only the present in Tlon, right? Mm-hmm. There's the etern- mm-hmm. and it's it's a, an eternal present because basically you only there's only the illusion of the past, and uh, I forget what the future was. But then they they have like that whole sequence where it's like they they devise like that logical like uh, traveler X fi- drops nine nine coins in the road yeah. and then yeah, yeah. You know, on, on Wednesday and on Thursday, another traveler comes by and finds four coins and blah, blah, blah. Like the, the idea of uh, object permanence isn't even something that exists in Tlon and to, f- well, cause there are no objects. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> plus, plus past and past and future are illusions. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it, weirdly, if you think about, you know, like, like 
how time is sometimes viewed as a super object, uh, where it, it's all, you know, like we only perceive time linearly. You know, if you were to step outside of this, you know, sort of, uh, framework, um, you know, you'd see time all as one, one thing. So right. I get that, but also that's not a way for you to live a life <laughs> yeah. that has any meaning because basically you are inflicting insanity upon yourself because you'll only ever live in this precise moment. Right. And, and I, I think about that and I think about how to a certain extent, like, um, the current moment, uh, of keeping everyone in this precarity, like the idea of like end of history and how that's been sort of brought about and perhaps even engineered to a degree is in fact, keeping everyone that is below a certain income and, and social level, like in this waking dream where you can't really make sense of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are no more net meta narratives, right? So, well, I mean, how are you supposed to explain what's going on? I mean, obviously, you go to Q. <laughs> yeah, you you find a meta narrative, and QAnon is there and willing to give you one that I mean is appealing. Yeah, sh- I guess. Shout out, shout out to um, uh, friend of the friend of the 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 pods, uh, Blood Knife. Uh, one of the contributing editors, Colin Broadmoor, mentioned that. Uh, Q is a is a meta meta narrative because it's basically a, a conspiracy <laughs> aggregator. You know, whatever yeah. you want, whatever you want to believe, that can be fit in. You know, whatever. Right. Yeah, that's a great that's a great analysis of it. It's just like the the overarching unifier of all the wild things that people you know want to believe to explain the chaos happening to them. But yeah, yeah. Well, this now is, we've depressed everyone. <laughs> I have yeah. some slightly more fun connections and observations about the story. Go, go, Let's go hear them. So one that I thought of was like, I don't know, actually, this might not be fun. This might be depressing, too. But <laughs> How truly I, good. <laughs> I, uh, I made a connection in my notes between the Talon Encyclopedia and like the absurdly detailed fan Wikipedias that you sometimes find mm. of things like Star Wars where people will dedicate just preposterous amounts of time and energy to tracking down the minute details of like a a random alien in the cantina in star Wars. Right. And it's fast. Like I have read some of those wikis out of kind of a weird curiosity, but I've always been super baffled by them. But reading the story kind of makes me get it where it's like that too is an escape into like putting your mental energy and your intellectual effort into something that's like kind of feels like you're learning, but you're learning about made up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, given the fact that everything's made up, including eco- economics and <laughs> yeah, everything we right. know. Except rocks. Rocks are real. Yeah, well, I mean, rocks are real, but we can't call them rocks. That's a noun. <laughs> Right. The hard the hard things that I stumble upon in the road. <laughs> right. The th- the toe stubby thing. Uh but yeah, I I mean it's it's fascinating because you're absolutely correct. I think it's it's sort of a taxonomy of a a a made up reality and and I mean that's a sort of a a weird thing to be sort of scoffing at when I'm a writer, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It makes me feel weird because, like, 
I, you know, I write these epic fantasy novels and I don't, I mean, I do world building, but I don't like meticulously detail all this stuff. I just give myself enough to work with. Right. Um, but then I wonder like it will someday I stumble upon like a fan wiki of one of my books <laughs> where they have like unpacked all of these throwaway references to things that I just th- didn't think two seconds about. And now there's like a 200 word article about it. It's, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, so I did want to point out, uh, I, I had sent both of you a link to, um, to uh, another, a more recent story uh, by Theodora Goss. Uh, mm-hmm. This was in uh, July 2014, which is called, uh, is it Samaria, I guess? The Conan? I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's the Conan country. The Conan country. Um, Samaria from the Journal of Imaginary Anthropology that gave me the same feeling as like a longer, obviously a longer work that makes me feel like uh, I, I was reading some sort of descendant of Tlon, Ukbar, and Erebius Tertius, and um, it, it is, because <laughs> obviously uh, it has to do with a weird uh, marriage where the uh, character, the main character marries someone whose sister is, I guess, what they would call a Ronir in Tlon, which is a yeah. duplicated object. Um and uh, it's sort of like she's not allowed to speak directly to him and so on. And so it's just a very strange, uh, an alienating story, but a fascinating one. And uh, yeah. and you pointed out, uh, Jeremy, that there is a, a name drop of, of Borges in there. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like if I had to guess, I would say that Theodore Goss probably read Tlon and then thought, like, wouldn't it be wild if the people who ma- wrote this encyclopedia – went to Talon and one of the people married a person from Talon. Right. Um, and then that, then she basically wrote the story uh, of, of that. That's kind of my take on it. But yeah, pretty that much. one was also extraordinary, like extremely haunting. Oh yes. Um, yes. Very much so. Uh, especially I'm, since like, yeah. Anyway. Oh, no, no. I, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and drop the link in, in our show notes, but uh, just so that everyone else can, can sort of, uh, read it as well because it, I I think it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, and it it has the same sort of like feel to it of well at one point toward the end of the story she she talks or the narrator talks about how like we invent countries and then they invent us like he invented Samaria and then by virtue of marrying sort of the princess of Samaria, he becomes sort of entwined in its internal politics, which he invented. But that's exactly what happens to you if you're like the vanguard of the revolution in some country and you build a new society and then you end up on the outside of its politics for some weird reason. And like, you know, it's, that is a thing that happens that kind of, I think we don't think about enough, right? Like a a line from the Tlan Ukbar story um, was uh, something about they took it to this guy in America to kind of get funding for their weird project of writing this encyclopedia. And he made fun of them because it was absurd to invent a country in, in America. And so he suggested inventing an entire world, which is like a dig at how the United States of America is a very young country. Mm-hmm. We pretend like it's, you know, a big deal, but it's, it's like 200 years old. Right. Yeah. And it was invented out of whole cloth by some dudes in a church, right? It's it's just 
it's weird. The world is very weird, is what I'm trying to say. And and, and well, you're not wrong. Yeah, and it's sort of made up, <laughs> at, just like Kalan. <Yeah. laughs> so, um, uh, in any case, I believe that uh, we have gotten a good. I mean, for a a story that is about 20 pages long it's we've gotten some good discussion out of this i guess we should probably wind this down and and this is the the point at at this point we ask jeremy so jeremy what interesting stuff do you have coming up yes um by far the most interesting would be my novel uh the hand of the sun king is going to be published in august of 2021 um available for pre-order now if you're in the uk if you're not in the UK, uh, hold tight. We are still figuring that out, <laughs> but uh, it will be available worldwide. Um, it's pretty cool. I wouldn't say it's as cool as anything Borges wrote, but you know, I'm just trying my best over here. <laughs> um, I've also had you know short stories published in a few places, and I have uh, one of my weirder stories that I really like, which was originally published in Deep Magic. Uh, is coming out in an episode of Podcastle sometime this year, I think this year. Um, it's called An Empty Cup, and it's about a civilization where everybody is born with a magical power, um, and but like one kid who's the main character can't figure out what his is. Um, and it becomes very existentially troubling for him. <laughs> and it just kind of charts his life as he kind of like tries to figure out how to fit into a society where he should have magic, and he doesn't. Oh no, Pete, are you having PTSD from Xanth? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, no, no, Jeremy, I, that is, that is unfair to you. <laughs> it's, I, I, I just on the basis of our, our conversation, I am absolutely convinced that, uh, <laughs> What what you've done is better than Zan. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, well, yep. we, we so. we're pretty sure that that is correct. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, well, I've actually never read Zan. Oh, uh, well, you know, I'm not going to. Yeah, because yeah, like, you, Every time I've ever good. had it brought up, it's like people telling me you should not read Zan. You should avoid Zan. Yeah. Okay. No so need, no need to start now. So what I'm hearing from you is that when we get closer to the published day, you'll come back and talk to us about your book. Sure, that'd be fun. Excellent. Awesome. Because this has been, uh, I mean, honestly, of the episodes we've done in the past few weeks, this is the one that made me sort of like shut up and start thinking in the middle, which is an incredibly think rude thing to do as a podcaster. But that's <laughs> that, that's really where I was here. There's a lot going on. And the idea that this very short story, 17 pages, could could go this deep is, I mean, it's almost shocking. Yeah, that's what Borges does, though. Like, I, he titled his collection Labyrinths, and every one of his story, I feel like every story in it, you can read again and again and again and, like, unpack different things in it. Uh, I wish I were half as smart as him. <laughs> same, same here. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, in, in that case, uh, we do want to thank you for coming on and, and deciding to talk to us about uh, Talon, uh, Jeremy. Uh, We'll, oh, it's been a pleasure. We'll we'll be in contact soon about uh, the upcoming book. But uh, Pete, we should call else? this one Tlan Jeremy" in like a homage to the uh, the porn star. Oh no! <laughs> uh, mm, I think okay, my agent okay. might be mad about that. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> anyway, it's been a fa it's been fantastic having you on, Jeremy. Thank you very much, uh, Pete. Anything yeah, thanks else? Thanks for inviting me. 
Nope, that'll do it. Excellent. Uh, take care, everybody. 